Well, I invite you to open the Bible and turn with me to Genesis chapter 45. Genesis chapter 45. It's on page 39. If you got one of our books, and we are going to be jumping into the story of Joseph here together in Genesis chapter 45. And last night, I uh, received a very encouraging message of text. I don't know if you uh, ever get something where you see it, and it actually is something very hard to find these days. It is good news. Does anybody still like good news? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Do you remember good news, right? Uh, when people had something to report that was positive and uplifting to your soul, and you wanted to hear it, and this message of text. Would you guys like to hear about this uh, text message that I got? Because it was actually our very own Pastor Daniel, and he was text messaging me, and he told me something that put a smile on my face. He said that this last week at this church, the church that you're at right now, we had more people attending fellowship groups than ever before in the history of this church. And he actually even said that that was also true the week before and the week before that. That the last three weeks, there have been more people each week, more than the week before. And the week before was a record that we'd never had as many people as that before. That as soon as we have started the law, more people are going to groups and talking about the Bible together here at this church. So I think that's good news that we should share with one another. And I was home sick from my group this week, not feeling well, so I know there's one more that we could have in the future, right? So uh, maybe some of us weren't even at our groups. Well, it's a record. So praise the Lord that people are reading the book of Genesis and talking about it with one another. And so we have now come to this man, Joseph, and we're going to be looking at the story of his life here together. And Genesis 45 jumps us right into the middle of the account of his life. It starts in chapter 37. It goes all the way to the end of Genesis in chapter 50. So that's what we're going to try to read together. I think this is the, the longest reading we have to do in a week. The whole law for the next five months. This is the most right here. And, and it's Thanksgiving break. So maybe you've got, if you have any time, maybe you could actually read all of these chapters about the story of Joseph. And we're going to look right here at verse 4. This is Genesis 45, verse 4. And this is a uh, moment where he is going to reveal to his brothers who he is. If you know the story here, his brothers hated him because he was the favorite of their father. His father gave him a coat of many colors that he wore as a physical symbol that he was the favorite of dad, and you guys are not. And they hated him. And they were going to kill him, but they ended up selling him into slavery. And he was sold as a slave in Egypt. And God did this mighty work and was with him, where he became the second most powerful man in Egypt, helping them through rationing food for this famine time. And now his brothers have come to him looking for food in the midst of the famine. And so here in this passage, he reveals who he is to his brothers that sold him into slavery, that he's now the most, second most powerful man in the world. And so this is Genesis 45, verse 4. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. 
Now, you can, what is going to happen now that he's... Uh, <laughs> uh, so let's talk about that, bros. Now, I want you to see what he says. He says, verse 5, Now, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. So three times there in his reveal, I'm your brother. I'm the guy you sold into slavery. And now I tell Pharaoh what's up. In that reveal, three times, Joseph makes it clear, God sent me. It wasn't you guys and your hatred and your evil thoughts and you're selling me into slavery. I mean, what an amazing thing. If you go back there and you look at verse 5, here's the brother who got sold. They lied to their dad and said he was dead. They sold him to make a profit. Here he now is saying, hey, I have authority over you now, and you sold me into slavery. And instead of letting them have it, he says, hey, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves. Like he's concerned about how they're going to take this news. And why is that? What gives Joseph this perspective? Because he's like, guys, this was God's good plan. All this is something that God did. God sent me to Egypt so I could know about the famine, so I could ration this food so that many people could live. So here's one thing we got to be careful about. We got to be careful about it right now here at this church when there's record levels of excitement and people talking about the Bible together in real fellowship. Hey, let's just make it very clear. Genesis is not the story of Joseph. Genesis is the story of God. Okay. Point number one, if we're going to learn anything, point number one, don't miss the main character. If you've got our handout, you want to take some notes here tonight, we're, we're going through Genesis together. We're wrapping it up this week. We're coming to the end of Genesis. Don't miss the main character. Okay? This is now our fourth generation that we're on in this family. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Now this week we're reading along on the adventures of Joseph. It's not about these men. It's about the promise God made to these men. That's what the story's about. And the main thing you should be coming away from in the book of Genesis is not what the people are doing, but what God is doing. Can I get an amen from anybody on this? Because there's been a lot of conversation, which I'm really encouraged by, but a lot of the conversation goes like this. Can you believe what so-and-so did in Genesis? And they're supposedly a righteous person, and they did this? 
lot of that kind of conversation. Like, how can they be righteous and still be pulling these kind of shenanigans over here? Like, what's going on? Why is God blessing these people? And why is God being good to them when they're not being good or doing good things? And there's a lot of interesting conversation about trying to understand the context of an ancient way of life here in Genesis. And why did these people sin? And how did that all play out in the story? And you just got to realize the story is not about the people and the evil they're doing, or now maybe with Joseph, the good that he's doing. The story is about a God who does good, not people who are doing evil and good. And so you got to make sure you're seeing that. Because people are already going to say, well, Joseph's a good guy, and here's what we can learn from his example. And there are good things that we can learn from his example, but let's just listen to Joseph tell his own story. Right here, three times he says, God sent me. He doesn't say anything about he did. He even says it's not about the evil his brothers did. It's about this plan that God had and what God did and God does good. So go back to chapter 37 and let's go through the whole story now with that idea of what is God doing in the life of Joseph. And it starts right here in Genesis 37, verse 2, where it says, Joseph, being 17 years old, okay, so we meet him, he's 17 here in in chapter 37, he's 39 by the time we get to page 39 in Genesis 45, Uh, but he's 17 here. So just from 37 to 45, there's 22 years that take place there. And when he's 17 years old, he's pasturing the flock with his brothers. And maybe you know the story. He ends up with 11 brothers from from four different mothers. It's a very complicated family situation here. And and then it says in verse 5, Now Joseph had a dream. And what we're going to find out about Joseph is that he has dreams, and then he also has the gift of interpreting dreams. And when he's able to interpret Pharaoh's dream, that's what's going to get him to second in command in Egypt. Now, when you have a dream, is that something that you do? Well, clearly here, these dreams that he has, let's just read about them here. Verse 5, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. So... Maybe not the best idea to share the dream with everybody here, Joe. But verse 6 says, He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and check this out, behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. Hey, what do you think that that could be about, bros? (laughs) You know, right? And his brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? They got with that. No, that wasn't hard uh, to interpret that dream, right? And then and has another dream. Verse 9, he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. You can already see them rolling their eyeballs, right? Behold, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. That's it? That's the whole dream? Like, but when he told it to his father and his brothers, his father rebuked him. And said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. 
I mean, these are dreams that these are dreams really more they're prophecies, they're revelations from God to Joseph. So you got to see that this guy isn't dreaming up his own dreams. God is giving him dreams that are actually telling us from the beginning, even though he's 17, God's got a whole plan for this guy's life. And when you've been reading how long people have been living for in the book of Genesis, 17 seems super young, you know what I mean? And God wants us to know from the beginning of this young man's life, God knew where he was going to take him through the dreams. And it's actually the dreams that are the inciting incident in the story that God is writing in the plot that he's developing. He's going to give him dreams that he's going to end up here with his father and his brothers bowing down to him. And just by him sharing those dreams, his brothers will hate him so much that they will want to get rid of him. So God is inciting all of this through the dreams. In Genesis 37, in fact, look at verse 19. When his brothers see him coming from afar they, and he's coming near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. And they said to one another, here comes this dreamer. The dreams is what sets the brothers over the edge. The dreams that God gives Joseph that he's going to reign over his father and his brothers are the things that instigate his brothers to sell him into slavery so that he will end up reigning over them. Like, we got to be impressed with what God's doing. In fact, no brother actually has the idea to sell him into slavery. The brothers together, the mob of brothers at this point, they want to kill him. But oldest brother Reuben says, no, let's not kill him. Let's just sell him or, or, and get some profit out of it. But really what is Reuben's idea is he wants to actually save his brother to get some points with his father because he's already sinned against his father and so some brothers are thinking kill him Reuben's thinking save him like there's not a well thought out plan to sell him that's God's plan it's not the plan of any man and so from the very beginning you can see God is using these dreams to get the story started now go to to chapter 39 page 33 because Joseph ends up in Potiphar's house so he gets sold to Potiphar as a slave, and Potiphar is an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Seems like an important guy if he's the captain of Pharaoh's guard. And look what it says here in verse 2. Genesis 39, verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. So very clearly, it's trying to get your attention as you're reading it to say Joseph is about to do well. The reason he does well, the Lord is with with him who's who should you focus on there what joseph does or what god is doing the lord was with joseph and he became a successful man and he was in the house of his egyptian master his master saw that the lord was with him so this egyptian captain of the guard potiphar can see that god is with this guy and that the lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands so Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. So clearly Joseph's going to go do good work for this guy Potiphar, but really what's going on is God is giving Joseph success and being with him. Now one of the things that happens is Potiphar's wife makes a move on Joseph, which he rejects, 
And look what he says when he rejects Potiphar's wife and her inappropriate move that she makes on him here. Verse 9, he says, He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you. Hey, your, your husband has put me in charge of his whole house. He's kept me back from you because you are his wife. Look what he says, key line right here. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against who? See, God is what keeps him from sin. So the reason this guy does well is the Lord is with him. The reason he doesn't do evil is because in his mind, God is in between him and that sin. So the whole story is told in a way that God is doing something. And then Joseph starts speaking in in chapter 41, really, when he ends up in front of Pharaoh. Look over at page 34 here. Chapter 41, verse 16, he finally gets in front of Pharaoh now, and he's going to interpret Pharaoh's dreams, just like he was able to interpret some dreams in prison. So Potiphar's wife falsely accused him. He ended up losing that job, ended up in prison, interpreted some dreams there in prison, was forgotten there by the friends that he interpreted the dreams for. But then later, when Pharaoh has a dream, they remember Joseph. Now here he is standing in front of the most powerful man in the land. Look what he said. Joseph answered Pharaoh. This is 41.16. It is not in me. Hey, I hear that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Here's Joseph's words, taking him as his own words. It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. I heard you can interpret dreams. Actually, I cannot interpret dreams, but God will interpret your dream. That's what Joseph says. Go to verse 28, where he clarifies it again. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Joseph doesn't know there's going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. No, God is revealing that through Pharaoh's dream, and Joseph's just being used by God to explain it to Pharaoh. Even Pharaoh gets this. Look at verse 37. Joseph interprets the dream. He gives him some ideas of something to do. Actually, the ideas that Joseph gives, they're, they're, they're powerful ideas that are going to shape the rest of the story. Because he says, hey, if we start storing up food, when the famine comes, everybody will come to us and they'll buy food. And really what happens is they start, once they run out of money to buy the food, they start giving their animals to buy the food. Then they start giving their land to buy the food, which is how Pharaoh ends up being who Pharaoh is in our mind, that he owns everything. It's all because of Joseph's shrewdness that God gives him in interpreting the dream here. And, and that's how Pharaoh becomes his power powerful as he is by how he responds to this famine. And so it says in verse 37, this proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. They hear the interpretation that God gives to Joseph therein. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. Okay, so here's what I want to say. As we go study Joseph this week, as you're reading about it, thinking about it, maybe talking about it in your group text or with others here at the church, let's not make the whole story about Joseph here at our church when even Pharaoh can see it's not about Joe, but it's about God being in this guy and working through this guy, okay? If Pharaoh can see who the main character is, I think those of us here at church tonight should be able to see it, all right? 
And, and so Pharaoh's like, this guy's great because God is with him. Now, uh, later on in chapter 41, when his sons are born, look at verse uh, 51 here. Joseph, he's blessed with uh, two sons here from Asenath, uh, the, the woman that he married. And two sons are born to him. Verse 51, Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house, being betrayed by my brothers, sold into slavery, thrown into jail, forgotten in jail. God has made me forget about all of that. That's why he names one of his sons. And the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. So both of his son's names are meant to get us to think about what God has done. That's how he comes up with the names of his sons, because God made me like this. Therefore, that's what I'm going to name this son that God has given me. So the whole time, Joseph, when he's talking, he's talking about what God's doing, not what he's doing. He says to his brothers three times, you didn't send me here, but God sent me. Go to the end of the story, chapter 50, verse 20. Let's go to the last page here of Genesis. And after Jacob dies here towards the end of Genesis, uh, we've come now to the end of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but our main character, God, is really who the story's about. And when uh, Jacob dies, his brothers are afraid that now that their father is dead, maybe Joseph, because he's never come after them for what they did to him. He's never taken revenge, even though he's so powerful and they have bowed down to him. Just like the dream said, he's never punished them. He's never really come after them or taken it out on them in any way. And so now that their father's dead, they have this growing fear like, oh, is Joseph going to let us have it now? Because we know we did him wrong, but he's never done us wrong. So I wonder if now's the time. And here's what Joseph says, reiterating what he tells them in chapter 45. Here in verse 20, this is Genesis 50, verse 20. He's telling them, guys, don't be afraid. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for, what does he say there? Like, he's not angry at his brothers. He's not having a hard time forgiving his brothers because in Joseph's mind, they didn't even do it. God did it. And God didn't do it for evil. God did it for Good. Like, that's the whole way that he thinks about the whole story of his life. He's like, hey, can I tell you my story? I got sold into slavery. You know what that was? That was good. I lost my job and got thrown into prison. You know what that was? That was good. I helped some people out in prison and they forgot about me for two years. You know what that was? It was all good. So why would I be angry about it? That's the testimony of Joseph. That God had a thought about his life. God imagined his life. That's what it means here. That God meant it for good. God's thought to Joseph was always good. So why get mad at people who are up to evil when God always does good? This is the mind of this man. This is how he's thinking. And he says, brothers, I'm not coming after you. I don't even think to come after you because I don't even see it as evil you did. But I know God was working for good the whole time. That's what he says. Now, it's even beyond that. Now, look what he says. The reason here, the good is beyond him. Joseph isn't just saying that God did it for my good. The good that Joseph can see God was working for is beyond him. Okay? 
So to fully understand what Joseph is thinking, we're going to have to take ourselves out of the center of the universe here tonight, everybody. Sorry, sorry to break it to you, but life is not about you. You're not the main character, okay? Uh, there's a story that's working, and it's been working for generations, and if Jesus Christ doesn't come back soon, there will be generations after us here tonight. And the story, it has many chapters and many scenes beyond our little lives here on planet Earth. And so he says, hey, this isn't even really about me. Look what he says. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. I got sent here by God to prepare for this famine so that people won't die. I got here, sent here by God to prepare for the famine so that our own family wouldn't die. That's what he's saying. This is like God is keeping people alive through the famine. This is way bigger than it just worked out for me being the second most powerful person in Egypt. That's not even what he's saying. This is about helping other people is what this is about. In fact, it might even be more than Joe fully understands here. It might, like, go to Genesis 15, verse 13. Go back to something that our main character said when he started making this whole promise to Abraham. Remember the first thing that we really studied together as a church was God telling Satan what his plan was, that out of the offspring of the woman there would come one who would crush the head of the serpent. That was God's plan. And then we zeroed in on a promise to Abraham, which led us to Isaac and Jacob and now Joseph. But when God was given this promise, the promise goes way beyond Genesis. Look at Genesis 15. This is where he makes his promise to Abram, and Abram believes him. But look at verse 13. And this is page 11 here, Genesis 15, 13. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. Where is he talking about? He's talking about Egypt. God's already saying this, this story is going to end up in Egypt in chapter 15, verse 13. Before he's even given dreams to, to Joseph, before there's even going to be a famine that Pharaoh's dreaming about, already we're going to end up sojourning, we're going to end up slaves, we're going to be in some land for 400 years. And uh, verse 14, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. He's already prophesying here, making a promise about the exodus of the people of Israel. He's already on to the sequel is what he's got planned, right? And really, you got to see as we're reading through the law, if you're expecting it to all make sense by the end of Genesis, the law, we break it down into five books, but it was really written as one book. In fact, if you think the law is long, if you open up the pages here from Genesis through Deuteronomy and you look at this, it, it, here in our English Bible, it's about 177 pages right here. And, and I was asking a, a Jewish man when I was in Israel, he was actually a missionary to the Jews, a Jew who goes around missionary to other Jews so that they'll be better Jews along with him. And I asked him, hey, what, what, is, what do you guys think about the law? Why don't you guys uh, see Jesus in the law? Why don't you guys study the entire scripture? And, and the Jewish man, he said something to me I, I don't think I'll ever forget. He said, well, you, the law, you know, is really just a short note. That was the first thing he said. 
The Torah is just a short note. So I don't know how it got to be five long books in our mind because the, to the Jewish missionary, it's like, well, we need a lot more than this. This is just a little bit right here. That's why we added all these other rules onto it because there's not enough here to go on, all right? So if you're thinking this is long, no, we're just at the beginning. And God's already got the plan going much further than even Joseph's life here in Genesis. He's already seeing him there in Egypt where they ended up. They're going to be there 400 years. There's going to be the exodus. He's already moving on to what's going on next. So that's what Joseph is starting to see. Hey, not only is this not about me, it's about other people. And there's this whole thing that's going on because people got to be kept alive because something's going to happen here that's bigger than all of us. It's something that God is doing. Guys, this isn't about me and you, he's saying to his brothers who sold him into slavery, who wanted to kill him. It's not about what we're doing right here, right now with one another. It's about God doing something so much bigger than us. God's doing something good. People are alive. Specifically, God's people are going to become a great nation that's going to bless all the families of the earth. And here you and I are saying, why has something happened to me in my life? That's not what Joseph thought. That's not what Genesis is about. We're four generations in. This isn't about you. you got to start seeing that. we got to figure out that the center of the universe is the word of God. God literally said, let there be light. And that's how we have a universe right there. Hebrews chapter 1 says that the universe right now, the reason it's all working right now, the galaxy, the planets, everything, the the sun, the moon, the stars, is because it's upheld by the word of the power of Jesus Christ. What God says, that's the center of the universe. You want to figure out what's going on in your life? Don't look at your circumstances. Look at your scripture and find out what God has promised you. That's how you're going to know what life is really all about. See who's really writing the story. Who's the main character? Who's developing the plot? It's not us. And Joseph is a guy who got that picture. Hey, you want to learn something from Joseph's life? Listen to what he says. I'm not the main character in my own story. And so what I think is happening as we're reading Genesis and we're getting exciting, excited, which is wonderful that, that we're reading it, but we're reading Genesis and we're like, hey, it doesn't tell me what to think about Genesis right here in Genesis. And, and it's just telling me the story. It's not giving me the commentary. It's, it's not giving me the notes. It's not like I can read it and then it tells me what to think down at the bottom. It's just telling me the story, all right? So what we need to understand, and I want you to draw these four boxes on your, on your notes if you're taking notes here, is we're studying the law right now. The law is the first unit of Scripture, okay? I've already tried to encourage us here at this church to stop thinking about the Bible in terms of Old Testament and New Testament. That's something that we did to kind of break it down. But originally, there were three parts to the Hebrew Bible, the Jewish Bible that Jesus and the disciples had at the time that Jesus was alive. There was the law, and then there was another book called the prophets, and then there was a third book called the writings, okay? 
And so there was, uh, first of all, Moses wrote the first five books. Then there's prophets that give the history of, of, the, of what happens next and, and talk about the future of what's going to happen. And then there's writings, most notably the Psalms, where we praise God and we remember what he's done. Now, the fourth section, I like to call it personally, the Gospels is what I call it, because then that's the good news of Jesus Christ. And so these, these, there's, this is how I think of the Scripture. I'd encourage you to think of it this way as well. Rather than thinking of it as two parts, this is actually, actually how it got to God's people over time. There were three different books uh, in the Hebrew Bible, and then there was a new collection of books that came out together that's all about the good news of Jesus being born, dying on the cross, rising from the dead. Okay? So it, now, here's how we should really be thinking. The story of Joseph is given to us in the law, okay? Now, it's not going to tell me everything to think about Joseph in the story of Joseph. All it's telling me is what happened in his life. It's just telling me the history, the actual description of the events. So, yeah, I could try to learn from his example. I could try to learn what he says, but I could also take a story, and I could think about it in a way that could be wrong. It's not telling me what to think about it. There's no commentary about it. It's just telling me what happened. The commentary comes later. Like when we get to Deuteronomy in the law, Deuteronomy is basically the law's commentary on itself. But the commentary also comes throughout the rest of the scripture. A lot of what the prophets are doing is they're writing commentary on the law. They're taking the the first five books, now as we break it down, the law of Moses, the Torah, and they're saying, hey, you know this story, you learned this Let me tell you about it. Let's apply it to our lives now. That's what the prophets are doing. And and, and that's what the writings do a lot of times in the Psalms. It recaps what already happened with with God's people, the nation of of Israel. And then even in the Gospels, even as the, the apostles are writing the story of Jesus, they're often referring to what happened in the law. So if you want to find out what to think about the law, you're going to want to use other scripture, later scripture, that's going to give you the commentary on how to think about Genesis. So if you're just using Genesis to figure out Genesis, that's not the best way to figure it out. You've got to go, who else wrote about Genesis? What did they say to think about it? That's how you're going to figure it out. And so let's trace this idea here together, that God is the one writing the story, and God's intention throughout every, every plot development, every bad thing that seems to happen, all of these evil sins that people do, all of these circumstances that don't seem to work out in, in the human being favor in the story, what is God really doing, writing a bigger story, and how is he really doing good on, on a bigger level? Well, we got to trace that idea throughout the scripture. So here's some references you could write down. In the prophets, we're going to go to Isaiah 46, and we're going to see how God says himself what he's doing in the story of life as the center of the universe. In the Psalms, we're going to go to Psalm 135. What can we learn about God? What is God like? Why does God do the things that he does? 
If he's really the main character, if he's really writing the story of Joseph, well, what does it say about our God? And then in the Gospels, we're going to end up at Romans 8, 28, which takes the story of Joseph's life and it makes it a promise for your life, something that you could memorize and you could apply and you could say, this is telling me what to actually think for my own life right here, right now. Okay, so that's if you want to really understand the law, you've got to use the rest of Scripture to provide the commentary because it's just telling you the story. It's not telling you what to think about it. Okay, so with that said, turn with me to Isaiah 46. Now, I know in our Bible, Isaiah is after the Psalms, but in the Hebrew Bible, Isaiah came before the Psalms, okay, because he was one of the prophets in the second book here. And Isaiah, for sure, is a lot of the 66 chapters of Isaiah are commentary telling the people in Isaiah's day what to think as they try to learn from the law and apply it to their own situation. And so here in Isaiah 46, we're in a series of chapters where God is speaking in the first person. God is telling his people how he does what he does, how there's nobody else like him. There's no idol that you can trust in. There's only one who really is worthy of your worship and praise. There's only one who's really behind the scenes of this life, controlling what happens. Look what he says here, Isaiah 46, verse 8. This is page 607. And this is God speaking, and he says, remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Hey, you sinners, you're going you're gonna to have wrong thoughts. You're going to twist my word. You're not going to think right about me. You're going to go and try to figure the story out for yourself and make the story of life about you. So put this thought in your heads. Recall this to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. So when Isaiah is writing and God's speaking and he says, remember the former things of old, what are the things of old that he's talking about? Well, the things that we're studying in the law. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. One thing that God does is he tells us the end from the beginning. That's why right away when Satan makes his move to deceive Eve, and God says, you want to deceive her? Actually, from her offspring is going to come one that's going to destroy you. You want Adam and Eve to die? Plot twist. Actually, when my son dies on the cross, that's what will destroy your power of death. God tells Satan, his enemy, the end from the beginning. He tells Abraham the end from the beginning. He gives Joseph dreams so that the end can be seen from the beginning. This is God's signature. This is his trademark. He loves showing off. Hey, I'll tell you right now, spoiler alert, everybody. But when we get to the end, I want you to know that I was writing the story the whole time. So let me tell you the end from the beginning. That's what God says he can do. That's what we're supposed to think. This story is not about Joseph responding well in adverse circumstances. This is a story that God, he's writing the circumstances, and he has a wonderful plan, not just for Joseph, not just for that family, but for many people to be kept alive and for generations after us. That's who God's thinking about. I'll tell you the end from the beginning. From ancient times, I'll tell you things not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. 
No one else can say that, that they will accomplish all of their purpose. No one else can say that whatever I say is what's going to happen. He says, there's nobody like me. I'm the one writing the story. I'm telling you the end from the beginning. Go to Psalm 135. This is so refreshing. Turn with me to Psalm 135. And you think, well, well, okay, if God's writing the whole story, because down here from our personal perspective, doesn't seem like things are always going good. Doesn't think like, it feels like here in America, we're way off script. Can I get an amen from anybody on that? Feels like sometimes, I mean, the holidays, we're coming into like, it's Thanksgiving break right now. And, and the holidays are not happy times for everybody, okay? What, what holidays do for a lot of people is they reveal the brokenness in our families, they reveal the trouble we're having with our finances. They reveal the personal problems that we can't talk about at these kind of fake and awkward family gatherings that a lot of people are going to have. The holidays don't, aren't the most wonderful time of the year. They are for some people, but for many people, they're the most painful time of the year as they expose the wounds that are always there. But now we can't deny them at the holiday time of season. And so from our perspective, it doesn't look like God's doing good. It doesn't look like the story is moving along as it should. It didn't look like that in the story of Joseph. It doesn't look like that many times from our perspective. Well, here's the one who, who's telling us the end from the beginning. Psalm 135, page 519. It says, praise the Lord. First, first word of this psalm, hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, O servants of the Lord who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is, what does it say? First thing you got to know about God is he's good. Okay, he's writing the end from the beginning, and he's good. So the end's going to be good. Okay, what we're doing a lot of times, what we're doing in our lives, it's like we're watching a movie, or we're streaming some kind of show, and we're, and I don't know if you know what the stream bar, right? So, or, you know, it tells you how far you are into the movie. And sometimes it'll even tell you right now you're an hour into this thing and you've got actually an hour and a half left to go, right? And what some of us are doing about our life right now in this moment is we're pausing the movie and we're saying, I'm done watching this thing. And the rest of our family's like, well, why would you stop now? We got an hour and a half left to go. And you're like, I don't like what's happening in this story right now. It's not fair to that character. All this conflict, all this tension. I don't like the way this plot is developing. I, I, I want to stop this show right now. This is headed in a bad direction. I'm out of here. Stop it. And the rest of your family is looking at you like, but maybe it resolves, but maybe it's good, but maybe there's an ending. Like Maybe the people who were writing this actually had a plan. Now, we've all been watching the show where we're sitting there realizing they had no clue what they were doing. They, they just said, film it because we got we to gotta finish something, right? They were just in it for the money. They had no plan, right? But then sometimes you know who the director is. You know who the writer is. You know how it all came together. And you're like, no, I think this one could actually be good. See, what, what are you going to do? Are you going to stop it? Or do you want to see how it ends? A lot of people in this room are evaluating your life right now, and there's a lot more of the story, and you're trying to decide if you like the story or not. That's what a lot of people are doing. And, and, you, and you're like a minor character in the story, and you're saying, my character is not getting the right amount of screen time in this movie. I don't want to watch these people. Where's this person? Maybe we've all felt like that on a, on a TV show or something. All these characters are, are lame, but I like that one guy. How do we get more of him? 
That's what all of us are doing about ourselves. Hey, God, how come this whole story isn't me being awesome every day? Like, where's that plot line developing, right? Well, the whole point of life is not that you're awesome. The whole point of life is that God's awesome. People aren't sitting around saying hallelujah about you because you're good. They're saying it about God because he's good. So stop stopping the story somewhere in the middle and saying, I don't think it's a good story, and I don't want to watch the end. Okay? No, trust in the one who's writing the story, that the one who's writing it. Okay? And, and see, okay, let's get into stories, right? Because we even teach our kids how to write stories. You've got to have characters. You've got to have plot. And something bad has to happen for it to be a story. Okay, now we're getting pretty deep here if you really want to roll with me, all right? If there's no evil, how can there be good? If there's no hate, how can there be? You see, you, you want the story to resolve with a happy ending? Well, that means something bad has to happen along the way. To get to happy, that's what you would tell anybody trying to write a story. This is how stories work. They involve conflict and tension. In fact, the good stories are the stories with really strong bad guys where you think the bad guys are going to win and there's no possible way the good guys could win and then somehow they suddenly still win. Those are the best stories. That's what God's writing. And you're like, I don't like how there's so many bad guys and I don't like how it's getting tense around here. We're not in heaven yet. Story's not over yet. Jesus hasn't come back riding on a white horse on the clouds. That sounds like a great ending to the story. Don't stop it now and give up. The Lord who is writing the end from the beginning is good. And because he is good, he can only do good. And so everything he does is good. That's who he is. That's who he is. It says, praise the Lord. And it's saying, people in the house of the Lord, the courts of the house of the Lord. Are you on the inside? Are you on the outside? Doesn't matter where you are. You got one word. Hallelujah. First reason it gives you to praise the Lord, he's good. Joseph says, look, guys, I know you sold me into slavery because some of you wanted to kill me or one of you wanted to save me for brownie points. But I know what God was thinking and what God was thinking the whole time was good and it wasn't just good for me it was good for you it was good for a lot of people it's going to be good for generations of people that will never even know this side of heaven that's the story that he's writing so the last thing i'm going to do is get angry with you when he's doing something good on a profound level that i can't even fully understand the lord is good sing to his name for it is pleasant it is beautiful everything about god all of his attributes all of his character all the things about him that we could study they're beautiful to behold they're glorious when you think about the fact that god is just and he always does what is right when you think about the fact that he is holy and he never compromises with sin when you think about that he's immutable and he never changes that his steadfast love endures forever and he's ready to forgive people for their sin and give them good things of grace that they don't deserve and give them mercy to withhold the judgment that they do deserve i mean when you think about all the good things about god and all that is his character and his attributes it's beautiful to behold god he's the one writing the story like if there's anyone you can trust like he knows where it's going we haven't lost the plot like it's gonna get there it's gonna come around that's what it's saying here he's good hey do you know who he is he's beautiful 
And then it says here, for the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself. Israel has his own possession. This was God's play. May not make sense to you, but this is what he wanted to do. For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. And you need to see this verse right here. Verse 6, whatever the Lord pleases, he does. Okay, so we have someone who is writing the story of life that includes your life. He can tell you the end from the beginning. He's good, and he can do whatever he wants. That's what's going on, okay? Our God sits on a throne in heaven, not some director's chair. He sits on a throne in heaven, and he does whatever he pleases. That's God. That's what it's saying here. That's who you're saying hallelujah to. Okay? He knows the whole story. He is good. And so therefore, if he is good and he can do whatever he pleases, then what he's going to do is going to be good. Now, many people might be doing a lot of evil, but all of the evil of Satan and all the demons and all the evil human beings doing all the evil that they possibly can, though it might seem like there's some strong bad guy characters out there, they cannot stop God from doing good and from accomplishing all of his purpose. They cannot once thwart the word of the Lord from happening. That's what the story of Joseph is about. I mean, so, so if you ever get sold into slavery, God's probably doing something good. Think about that. That's crazy. I would not think of anybody being a slave as a positive experience. I mean, you lose a job because someone falsely accuses you of doing something that you didn't do. You end up in prison for something that you didn't do. You help a guy out in prison, and when he gets free, he totally forgets you and leaves you behind. Joseph is able to say to his brothers who sold him out for some money, he is able to say to them, I know that God the whole time had my good, had, had good on even a level I can't understand. That's what he was thinking the entire time. That, he is thinking about God on a level that few of us are thinking about God on. We need to start thinking that way. Our God is in heaven. He is good, and he does whatever he pleases. Point number two, find confidence in his character. Okay, not only is God the main character, but you can find confidence in his character. He is the good guy. He is for his people. He is working towards keeping all of his promises, towards all the things that he reveals to us. Those are the purposes that he is going to accomplish. And so as I know who God is, and I come here to worship him for being a good God, I should find that I, things, circumstances may not seem good. Other people may not seem like they're doing good. But I know the one who's in control of all things, and I know that he is good. And in his goodness, I find confidence in the character of God. He's the one that's really in control. So we have to, our faith cannot be about our circumstances. We can't be riding the highs and the lows, the ups and downs that is our experience in the fallen world. Our faith has to remain consistent with the character of God. 
that God will always be true to who he is and he will always do what he has said he will do. And everything about God and everything he says is good. So I find confidence in the goodness of God, not the goodness of what's going on in my life. And when things aren't going well in your life, that's when you're going to find out whether you're riding the roller coaster of circumstance or whether you're trusting in a God who does whatever he wants and is good. Do you just have a lot of faith in God right now because things are going well for you right now? If your faith is just because things are going good, that's not what we're looking for. Your faith needs to be that God is good. That's what you're trusting in. Not what's happening right here, right now. You know who's writing the whole story. He's telling you the end from the beginning. You know where we're going to end up. And you know that the end will be good because he is good. Turn me to Romans 8, 28. And maybe you're familiar with this verse. I hope you can see it with some fresh eyes here. Um, and, and uh, you know, so I call this whole section that we refer to as the New Testament, I'm thinking of it as the Gospels. And you say, well, there's four Gospels. Romans not a Gospel. Well, yeah, Romans is the Gospel. That's what it is. I mean, Romans is the Gospel, and not, not the story of the Gospel being told that Jesus is the Christ who died for our sins and rose again. Romans is explaining to you the gospel message and how you're in sin and how Jesus came to justify you so you could be righteous and how you can have a new life in Jesus Christ. And then it's telling you about all the benefits and blessings of a new life in Jesus. In Romans 8 is when you get to that awesome level of like, so here's what it fully means now that you have been adopted by God into his family. You've been saved in Christ where there's no judgment now for your sin because he's paid for all of it you have the holy spirit now living within you encouraging you causing you to live a new way so romans 8 is like the climax of his argument here was you in sin here's what jesus did for you you trusted in jesus you're starting to live a new life let me tell you what that new life looks like that's romans 8 in fact look what he says in verse 18 this is romans 8 verse 18 this is page 944 he says for i consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us that is an amazing statement that is out of this world if we could peel back the wallpaper of space and time if we could see into the spiritual realm if we could see the glory of God and the beautiful reality of heaven and what it's going to be like to be forever in God's presence, we would think that all the evil and all the suffering going on right now doesn't even compare to the good ending of this story. That's what he's saying. And he's talking about how even the creation has this sense of longing for what God's going to do, how God, where God is taking this. All this evil in the world right now, all of this fallenness, all that Satan's doing, all that people are doing, the whole system of the world is evil and there's a longing for what God's going to do when he makes all things new. And even we don't fully know how to express ourselves when we pray to God, but the Spirit of God is working in us and drawing us towards what God is going to do. And it's in that context that it says this in Romans 8, 28. It says, and we know, this is something that we can have confidence in, something that we can trust and believe. We know, we can experience this, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. 
for those who are called according to his purpose. How many things does this first promise work together for good? Everything. I mean, you can fit a lot of things into all things, all right? It works together for good. Now, it says uh, there's, a, there's a, a couple of qualifying statements on the promise. It's really about the kind of person that the promise applies to. It says, for those who love God and for those who are called according to his purpose. So the, the people of God, the people who have responded to God with love, that's, that's the summary of the entire law, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and, and strength. And you're one of the people of God. Your response to all that he's done for you is to love him. And, and, and he's done that work, that purpose of his in your life. If you love God, if you're called according to his purpose, you will be able to say, like Joseph, hey, what, what was meant for evil, God meant for good. You will be able to say that. And so now we've gone from the example of Joseph to seeing the main character of God and learning more about him. Here now, we actually find the story of Joseph's life summarized in a verse that you can memorize and that this verse is a promise to you if you love God and you're called according to his purpose. This is now saying you can know that God will work for good. It's not just that Joseph knew this, you can know this. And so I want to encourage every single person at our church to memorize this verse. I want to encourage you. Maybe you're like, I already have it memorized. No, let's rememorize it as it is right here in this English Standard Version. Let's, let's memorize it all over again. Maybe this is a different version than the version you memorized it in. That's the whole point. Let's get it fresh on our minds. God is promising that if you are one of his people, if you know his love through his son, Jesus Christ, if he saved you as a part of his good plan, all things work together for good. Okay, all things. That's, that's a bold promise. I mean, there's a lot of bad things happening. We, we started out by referring to how it's rare to find good news these days because there's so much bad news. In fact, our bad news is so bad, you don't even know if it's new, real news. You, it could be fake bad news. I mean, think about that. We're making up fake bad news now because we hate one another so much we want to slander one another with fake bad news. I mean, that's where we're at. We're so far below good news, we're not even in the category of bad news. We're in, like, the category of making up bad news. Like, if we're going to make up news, could it at least be good? You know what I mean? I mean, we're, we, that's where we're at. And here's a promise that's saying, no, the evil, all of the evil that people are doing, all of the evil that Satan is doing cannot stop the good that God is doing. And if you're one of his people, it's all things working for good. This is not a cliche to throw out in hard times. This defines all of our times. This is a, this is a way of thinking to live your life by. And specifically, look at, look at it in context. What we can do so easily is we can make the Bible mean something that it's not really trying to mean. We can make the story about Joseph when every time Joseph opens his mouth, he's trying to say, it's about God, not me, everybody. We can make this verse mean something that it doesn't mean. Look at verse 29 and 30. I'm guessing that verses 29 and 30 come after 28 because they have something to do with verse 28. Now, that's just a crazy theory I'm throwing out. But maybe it might define that all things are working for good 
in some kind of more level of detail. Verse 29, for those whom he, God, foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also what? Guess what? God's already made the whole movie. All two and a half hours. And I don't know where your little dot is on the bar there, right? But he's got the whole story. And the story actually begins before you were ever born. And the story actually goes much longer than you will live on this planet. So you're judging it based on how much of the story right now. You got to see what God's looking at. Okay? I mean, let's just think through what it's saying here. The whole point of this was ultimately, let's just jump right there to verse 29, that we would be conformed to the image of his son in order that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers. Ultimately, the whole story is about Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen from anybody on that? I mean, that's who life is all about. It is about Jesus Christ. And the fact that Jesus Christ would have many people, many who are conformed to be like him, many, many who are saved and in the image of Christ, their new creations in Christ, and they would start living their life like Jesus Christ lives. That is the point. So, so God's plan had to do with Jesus Christ First of all, there's all this time prophesying that Jesus is coming. Then there's the time where Jesus actually does come. He's born as a baby, which some of us are already celebrating. We're, get, we're all getting ready to celebrate next month. Born as a baby, lives a perfect life, dies on the cross as a sacrifice to pay for your sins, and on the third day rises from the dead and becomes the firstborn, the prototype of how God now wants people to be resurrected people with a new power over sin with a new body eventually with a glorified state of life that's who jesus is now there's been two thousand years for people to spread that good news of jesus and for people to respond by turning from their sins that jesus died for and by trusting in jesus to start living a new life so for so there was all these this time telling us about Jesus. There was the time when Jesus came. Now there's this time to talk about Jesus, to spread the word about Jesus, to start living like Jesus, and then the story ends with Jesus. And there's going to be so many of us there worshiping Jesus. It's a, it's, the story ends, first of all, Jesus comes riding on a white horse on the clouds to defeat all of his enemies, and then all of those who are with Jesus, there's a marriage, there's a, there's a wedding. I mean, it, the story ends with, with just the most awesome stuff you could think of. That's where it's all going. And we still got maybe some more time till we get there. Now look what, look, it says it here like it's all this process that God has already scripted, already worked out. He can already see the whole story. Verse 30, those whom he predestined. So God had thought about this before it ever happened. Those whom he predestined, he also called. That's the call where God is drawing people to his son. That's the call where people are hearing the gospel. They're hearing the word of Christ. They're ready to respond. And the call there, then those whom he called, he justified. They respond. They believe in Jesus. They're declared righteous. They're saved. And those whom he justified, he also, what does it say there at the end? 
Every single one of us who is saved by Jesus will be glorified with Jesus. In fact, it puts it in the past tense here like it's already happened. Even though we're still living in the story right now. So this is way beyond something that you and I could even possibly understand. Like even if we could see in our story when that evil thing happens or some circumstance that we would call a bad circumstance. Like we're trying to like figure out. We use Romans 28, 28 to like, okay, well, what could God possibly be doing? And if we can figure out what God's doing, we find some comfort. And if we can't figure out what God's doing, like we get frustrated and we act like he doesn't know what he's doing. You don't know what glorified means. That's what he's doing, okay? He's doing something that's so far beyond the chapter of the story that you and I are living in right now. And it's going to affect generations after us. Maybe something's happening in your life right now that's not even about you. And it's about something that's going to happen with you that you're going to pass on to somebody else or it's going to affect somebody else in some way that you'll never even know. And Joseph said, guys, the whole time, God was thinking about good. And look at all the people who are alive. That's how you got to think about life. That God is working all things together for good. And you should apply this promise right here to every single thing. Whatever thing you're going through right now, it is a part of all things. Point number three, you need to apply his promise to all circumstances. Okay, so we're, we're taking time this week, at least that's what's on the calendar. I don't know if everybody's actually going to take some time, but on my calendar, even my Google calendar, it says that Thursday is Thanksgiving. Anybody else's calendar say that? It says we have a set aside a day for the giving of thanks. Used to be a lot bigger deal, this whole Thanksgiving thing, when more people believed in God, then it was a lot bigger deal because then we had somebody to give thanks to and not just eat food and argue with each other, then we had, we had a purpose behind it. You know what? Here's a verse you could write down for your Thanksgiving celebration. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, it says, give thanks in how many circumstances? Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. If you are in Christ Jesus, God's will for you is good, and so you can give thanks in all circumstances. So there's a whole level of things that you're not putting on your list of things to give thanks for that we need to throw on the Thanksgiving table. There are times that bad things have happened to you, evil things that people have done for you, done to you, wicked, terrible family things that come up especially at this time of year where people have sinned against you and they've betrayed you and they've stabbed you in the back and the pain of it is so real and we just read a story about a guy who could look at the people who sold him as a slave because that was a step down from what they really wanted to do to kill him and he's not angry he's not seeking revenge he's not trying to make them feel it or punish them he's concerned about them and he's saying guys you, it wasn't even about you. You didn't send me here. God sent me here. And the whole time God sent me here, he was thinking good. 
So there are some things that maybe until this moment right here, until this Thanksgiving, 2019, this year, you have put them in some kind of category of evil or bad where you can't give thanks for those things. And I'm here to tell you that even those things work together for good. And that even in those circumstances, you can give thanks to God because he'll tell you the end from the beginning and he is good and he does whatever he wants. So maybe you need to say this Thanksgiving, hey God, I've always thought of this as an evil thing. But now I can see that maybe the whole time you were thinking, good. Maybe that time where I lost my job and I got so angry and I doubted you so much and then eventually I saw that that was good. That time where so-and-so did that, that thing to me and it bothered me so much and then eventually I saw that it was good and maybe some of those you haven't got to the eventually yet where you can see that it's good. I promise you when you are glorified like Jesus Christ you will be saying that the Lord is good and you will be singing hallelujah. No, you can give thanks in all circumstances. It may not be going well, but you can say here tonight, it is well with my soul. Because I know God, and he does good. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we come before you. And Father, we have made so much of ourselves. We have acted like we're the star of the, of the show. We've put ourselves right there in the middle expecting the plot to revolve around us. And God, we just thank you for this story of Joseph and these other verses that we could look at that shed some light on that story. And God, we thank you for this promise that for everybody here who loves you and is called according to your purpose, all things work together for good in their life and they can give thanks in all circumstances. And God, I just want to lift up anybody who's here tonight who does not trust in you. They don't believe that you're good. They don't believe that this was all a plan for you to send your son. That he was to die to pay for all of our sin. That he was to rise to give us a new life. That this is all leading to an epic, glorious celebration in your presence. God, I pray that you would open their eyes to see wondrous things that you would peel back the wallpaper of space and time and that they could see you're doing something on a level that we can't see with our eyes. That you are good. That you do whatever you want and you're going to tell us the end from the beginning and when we get to the end, we will all say hallelujah. That every knee, whether it's in heaven or on earth or even under the earth, every single knee will bow. And they will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord of heaven and earth. And when they say that, it will be for your glory because you were writing the story the whole time. Everyone will see it eventually. Father, we ask that we could see it today. That we could see it by faith right now. That we could take you at your word. And so, Father, I pray for all my brothers and sisters that we will believe in your goodness. That that will be an unshakable conviction in our faith, that I know my God is good. And he sits on a throne and he does whatever he pleases. And I will trust him through this chapter right now. Father, I pray for those who are going to have a hard time this holiday season. 
that they will know your goodness and they will give thanks in the circumstance they're going through right now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.